If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. I'd like to invite our kindergarten through fifth grade students to come and join me up here on the chancel and we'll get as comfortable as we can. And if anybody is out there who wants to change their mind, you can always change your mind and come and join us. So today is a special day in the church. We call today Access Sunday. Can you say that? Access Sunday. Very good. And on Access Sunday, churches in our denomination, the United Church of Christ, we take special care to celebrate the gifts of people with disabilities. And we recognize the progress the church has made in being more whole by becoming more accessible. We're going to talk about disabilities in just a second. And we also recognize that we've got some uh, room to improve on being accessible and making sure everyone is included. So I know that several of you already know that a disabil- what a disability is because I told you about my disability at Vacation Bible School. Yeah. You remember it? What is it, Maura? That's exactly right. In Vacation Bible School, we talked about how disability doesn't mean bad or less than. It just means different. So, Maura, just explain that. But my disability is that I am deaf in my right ear, and I have a cochlear implant that helps me. And it's not perfect, but it does help me in many situations. So what is a cochlear implant? Well... You guys see this on my head, right? And this is called a processor. But underneath my skin, right behind my ear, there's a cochlear implant. And basically, it's the, my doctor put a magnet and a computer chip that has a coil that wraps around the inside of my ear. And noise comes in. Do you see these very tiny microphones? Those are microphones on my processor. Yeah, you see that? That's the on button, but these two little black dots, those are the microphones. And the sound goes in those microphones, and then it sends an electrical 
pull impulses, electrical impulses into my brain, and my brain translates those electrical impulses into noise or sound. And sometimes that sound is speech. And my brain translate that, translates that into words that I can understand. So that's how it works. It's not perfect, but it does help. But my cochlear implant isn't the only thing that helps my deafness. This whole congregation also helps me. How does that work? Well, we used to do joys and concerns really differently around here. Before, before I went deaf, people in the pews used to shout out their joys, just random and from their pews, shout them out. And I would hear them, and then I would, in the microphone I would repeat what they said so that everybody could understand and hear. But after I lost my hearing, it was really, really difficult for me to understand what people were saying. And I tried for a while just to tough it out, just to pretend that it was okay, that we could just do what we had always done. And I tried really hard, but even with my cochlear implant, it wasn't working. And every Sunday, I felt like I was letting everyone down because of my disability. There were times when I thought, maybe I need to stop being a pastor because I, I couldn't do things the way that I used to do them or that people were used to me doing them. But the church reminded me that my disability is not the problem. It was the way we were doing things. And you know what happened? You stopped doing them and it was better. The that's exactly right. The whole church made a change for me so that I wouldn't have to struggle or feel bad about what I can and can't do. And so now, when people have a joy or a concern they want stated aloud in church, they call the church or they email me or they use their, the tab in the bulletin to send me a message. And every time someone does that, Every time I get a message or it, I, get, I read our bulletin and I see what they want said, it reminds me that the church doesn't see my disability as something that is bad, but just as something that's different and an opportunity for us to do things differently. Another way that people at church remind me that my disability is not a disease, but just a difference is this stole. This is like the brightest stole that I have. It is sign language, that's right, Maura. So Caitlin and Casey Stewart, who are members of this church, they made me this stole. And I was gonna ask if you know what these symbols are, but Maura already told us they are, it's a sign language. And each of these signs is a letter, right? Like we can do the whole alphabet without even saying a word. Well, I think I know which one's O. Oh, the one with stuff with a circle. Is an O. That's right. That's right. So this first word, L-O-V-E. Does anyone know what that spells? Love. Love. That's right. And they made me this stole. Caitlin made me this stole and gave it to me to celebrate that I am learning to become an, an American Sign Language interpreter. 
and it says something that we say every single Sunday. It says, love one another every single other. You got it. That's right. So that's what my stole says. It just spells out the words with every single letter. But you don't have to do that to um, communicate in sign language. In sign language, we sign words. Um, words have particular signs. So that is I love you. That's right. Can you guys do that? I love you. It's the I and then the L and then the Y for you. I love you. It is also how Spider-Man shoots his web. That's right. That's right. Um, this morning, I want to teach you all how to sign every single, love one another, every single other with sign language. Are you willing to learn it with me? Okay, you ready? All right, you're going to need both hands. So the first, the sign for love is this, love. Good, you're all very good at this, love. The next, the next two words, one another, we actually don't have to use two signs because ASL is so cool like that. One another, you can do this, so kind of do the thumbs up with both your hands and then circle around. And you want to move around to say that everybody, that's exactly it, you got it. One, so we'll do it again, ready? Love one another. And then sign for every is put your thumbs up and then with do every kind of, yep, tap the back of your thumb. Every, and you do it a couple times, every single other. So we'll do every single other. You got it. So we do the whole thing? Yeah. All right, ready? Love one another every single other. You got it. Should we, do you think we should teach these guys? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe? They want to learn. I think they want to learn too. Okay, let's stand up and face them. Sometimes it's hard for them to see when we're on the floor. Okay, are we ready? All right. Uh, is everyone sitting up as straight as they can? You have your hands free? All right. Love. Pretty good. Pretty good. One another. One another. Every single other. One more time. Should we try one more time? All right. Are you ready? I think they got it. They're quick learners. All right. Here we go. Ready? Love one another every single other. That's really great. Okay. Thank you for um, being here today. I'm so glad to see you. Now y'all can go to Kids and Community, and we'll see you all in just a little bit. Okay? Will you bow your heads with me? To borrow the words of Rick Ross, every day we hustlin', holy one, even if it's a bit different than what keeps that rapper busy. We're not even sure we have time to tell you all that we've got going on. 
We're hustling the kids to piano lessons, then hustling through the drive-through for dinner, then hustling them into the gym for volleyball practice, and when we make it home, we're hustling them into bed, hoping they can hustle to finish that last page of homework before the bus comes in the morning. We're hustling to the next doctor appointment, although we'd have to take a minute to remember what this one is for. All the paperwork runs together, date of birth, family history, symptoms, feelings of depression, current medication, supplemental insurance, because the medical industrial complex is hustling too. We're hustling to stay caught up at work, or at least not fall too far behind. We're hustling to meet three deadlines, close one more sale, and write four more emails, only to open the laptop on Sunday night to start hustling for the next week. But scripture tells us to cast all our cares upon you. Over and over again, we hear of Jesus stepping away to pray and quiet his spirit. Our earliest stories include you creating Sabbath, and then one of the ten, big ten commands us to remember it and to keep it holy. So as we drop our shoulders away from our ears as we relax our hands from clenched fists, as we pay attention to our breath, we also gently whisper to ourselves the words of the hymn, Be still, my soul, for God is on your side. If Jesus quieted the wind and the waves, we have reason to believe our hearts and minds can be at rest too. Help us to stay with the feeling. With sighs too deep for words, we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. 
By now, most of you know the drill. We read a Bible story that contains a miracle, and we immediately remind ourselves that the miracle is never the point of the story. We should probably say that the miracle is never the most important point of the story, for there are always multiple points in any Bible story. In the case of this passage, we might zero in on the controversy concerning the Sabbath. This is a significant theme throughout the gospel, so it certainly warrants our attention. It is easy to criticize, dismiss, roll our eyes at the leader of the synagogue who was indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath. I mean, that guy sounds like a real delight. We like to pretend that we are smarter, more enlightened than our ancestors of faith, especially that guy. We like to think that we would never be as hard-hearted as he was complaining because Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. And because we live in the buckle of the Bible belt where there are those who gleefully send us to hell for not believing what or how they believe, we perceive the leader of the synagogue as some kind of forerunner to the legalistic, compassionless, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps religious jackwagons of our day. So it is especially satisfying to read a story in which Jesus shuts them down. Get him, Jesus. <laughs> but before we pile on to the leader of the synagogue, we must remember the meaning of Sabbath in this socio-historical context. In his book, Conflict, Holiness, and Politics in the Teachings of Jesus, Marcus Borg reminds us that no aspect of the quest for holiness was so publicly visible to the non-Jewish world as the observance of the Sabbath. By the first century, it had become one of the hallmarks of Judaism, widely commented upon by writers in the Greco-Roman world and exploited by Gentiles when attacking or persecuting Israel. Their perception of its importance was accurate. Within Judaism, proper observance of the Sabbath was not only a central religious practice, but integral to the quest for holiness and an increasingly important symbol of loyalty to the covenant and hence of Israel's solidarity. Mythically and psychologically, Sabbath observance functioned to create one day of sacred time each week, a day in which the world reverted to the time before human work before the world began, to the time before, the time of the beginning. Thus, it was one of the central religious practices of ancient Israel, one of the chief instrumental means for, for providing an awareness of the holy. Furthermore, for Israel, threatened at the time by persecution and assimilation, Sabbath observance became the chief way of preserving Jewish communal identity and Jewish vocation. 
Remembering and keeping the Sabbath was about honoring God and about the survival of a people. This, this is why the leader of the synagogue, along with plenty of others, were giving Jesus a hard time about it. Faith and survival. So perhaps we can ease up with our own holier-than-thou critique of the defenders of the Sabbath, even if it seems completely without compassion in this particular scenario. In fact, we know just how seriously people took the Sabbath because no one in the Bible ever asks to be healed on the Sabbath. All of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell us that Jesus, not the afflicted, took the initiative to be healed on the Sabbath. On the other hand, the afflicted always took the initiative to be healed on days other than the Sabbath. This is true of the woman we read about in the story this morning. She does not ask to be healed. Did you notice? Oh, we're not the only ones that didn't notice. Neither did the leader of the synagogue. You heard it in verse 14. He's yelling at the people, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, but yelling at the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. And so I say to that synagogue leader in the most pastoral way possible, dude, she did not come to be healed. She did not ask for this. She did not seek it out. There are other people in scripture, including other women, who are very assertive about seeking Jesus out for healing. There's the story of the woman with the 12-year flow of blood who grabs the hem of Jesus' garment, or the woman who went directly to Jesus to get health care for her daughter, only for him to call her a dog. But their requests are not made on the Sabbath. The woman in our story didn't come to the synagogue on the Sabbath to be healed. It turns out that in the way the story is told and in how we traditionally focus on certain aspects, that the woman is actually neither the subject nor the object in this story. And that's why we don't pay attention to details like that. Very often in scripture, women are used as props, tools to talk about other things. It's not just women who are used this way. This is true of any story that involves a healing or the possibility of healing, which is to say that it happens any time there is a story that involves a person with a disability. They are used as a prop, a way to set up a fight between Jesus and those who the text often describes as his opponents. We rarely hear directly from the person who is disabled, only from non-disabled people 
talking about them or around them. But today, as you know, it is Access Sunday, a day our denomination, the United Church of Christ, has set aside to celebrate the gifts of people with disabilities and the strides the church has made in being more whole through becoming more accessible, as well as acknowledging the journey yet to be traveled. So this morning we are going to be very intentional about staying with the woman whose back was bent. We are going to set aside the miracle of a healing. We are going to set aside any medical speculation about what we would call her condition instead of saying she was bound by a spirit or Satan. We are going to set aside any understanding that makes us holier than thou. We are going to set aside the synagogue leader. We are even going to set aside Jesus so that we can be a bit more faithful about engaging disability theology and perhaps make some progress on that journey yet to be traveled when it comes to disability justice and our world. So let us consider this woman, this woman with a body that is so bent over she cannot look anyone in the face or vice versa. A woman we can imagine who has lived with emotional and physical pain that comes from having a body bent over that way for 18 years. Despite all of this, we find this woman in the synagogue honoring and keeping Sabbath. She was, after all, a daughter of Abraham, and let us not pretend that Jesus proclaimed anything that wasn't already true. She was committed to honoring God and doing her part to survive as the people of Israel, even under occupation. So it is very true that this was why she was keeping Sabbath. But it may also be that she was keeping Sabbath because she was a person with a disability. And so she understood more deeply than any non-disabled person the importance and the significance and the meaning and the necessity of Sabbath. In her book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request, disability theologian Amy Kinney explains... In making the covenant with the Israelites, God commands, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Most of us give that a sure Jan and move on with our lives. We use every justification in the book to avoid the Sabbath. Times were different back then. The Israelites didn't have my boss. Sabbath isn't going to pay the rent. We forget that rest is good for us. Rhythms of rest help our bodies and minds rejuvenate. Regular rest reduces stress, shrinks the risk of heart disease, boosts our immune system, and deepens our creativity. Study after study after study confirms what we already know. Rest is exactly what the great physician ordered. Taking Sabbath is a disabled practice, Amy Kinney continues, it declares to the world that we are worthy 
not because we checked items off a to-do list, but because we are image bearers. It allows us to rest, breathe, rejuvenate. It offers a counter practice to the competition of our capitalistic world, pushing us to be harder, better, faster, stronger, or try as we might, we are not a Daft Punk song. It declares that the turbocharged pace of trying to outpace one another is not healthy or necessary for abundant life. It follows the rhythms of creation in rooting, reaping, and releasing. It allows our bodies to be connected to the breath of life, the womb of time, and the sacredness of all creation. Sabbath is a formative practice that requires an act of faith. Sabbath declares what those with disabilities know to be true. We are not in control of our bodies, and all bodies have fluctuating needs. Practicing Sabbath compels us to acknowledge that truth in some way. It requires that we affirm that the work left undone will be tomorrow's worry, that you are faithful enough or just exhausted enough to turn off the fretting and instead recover. Sabbath is at the core of disability justice principles because it affirms that all are worthy simply because we are made in the image of God. We cannot lose or win our divine worth. It seems then, in a story about what it means to honor and keep Sabbath, that in our enthusiasm to see Jesus get a win and send that leader of the synagogue home packing, we have skipped right over the person who could teach us the most about surviving, about identity in God, about the habits and practices that make up a life shaped by faith, about Sabbath. But we see her this morning. We see her honoring Sabbath, and we are going to let her inspire us and teach us to shape a more Sabbath-centered life. But how? Even for all the talk about the importance of self-care that we hear these days, the world does not encourage keeping the Sabbath, actually making rest and renewal part of our lives. Which is why we, the church, have to set this example. If we can practice Sabbath inside these walls, perhaps we will learn how to practice it outside of these walls. I mean, this is, after all, one of the most important reasons we gather. Church is not a place of perfection. It is a place of practice, a community that has the grace to let each other improve, get better at being faithful. Here, we practice doing justice, we practice loving kindness, we practice walking humbly so that we can be more faithful about it out in the only world we know, 
This is the theological reason behind why we do Sabbath-centered ministry around here. Our faith formation programs, our music program, our youth ministry, all of them offer opportunities to engage and participate, followed by a period of rest. We do not always have something on the calendar. We do not have choir practice in perpetuity. And it is because we are practicing Sabbath. We are embodying disability theology because we have so much to learn. To practice Sabbath is a theological response to the relentless pace of the world that treats our bodies as if it is machine. And our bodies are not machines, which is one of the most important things disability theology reminds us. Our bodies, writes Amy Kinney, are like gardens. We can put the right ingredients in the soil. We can tend to them and cultivate growth in various ways. But the ultimate success of the crop isn't up to us. It is dependent on temperature, water, humidity, and sunlight, all of which are out of our control. Our damaged organs or limbs cannot be replaced like a snapped fan belt. Sometimes we do all the right things, all the right things, eat nourishing foods, exercise, reduce stress, and yet there are parts of our bodies that are not normative. No amount of eating kale or using heat lamps will change the fact that many of us are disabled we need to recast our bodies as gardens, not as machines. And if we do that, we might learn the practice of Sabbath. We know that gardens change with the seasons and regular, request, regular rest is required in order to restore the land. Our bodies, too, need respite and recharge, not just quick repairs and replacement parts. Our bodies are worthy of rest and require rest. So this, this is what we are going to do today when we leave this place. This is the topic we are going to talk about at lunch. What are the ways we can begin to practice Sabbath in our homes? among our friends? How can we gently remind each other that a calendar that always has something on it means that we are not taking God or each other seriously? And the thing is that it's very likely that when we take Sabbath seriously, we will also be able to make the claim that we heard in the story. We have been set free. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. 
More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.